right here. Not on the field. Where we want to be at the end of the season starts with our mentality and our attention to detail today. When they leave Penn State, a person should be able to look at them and say, that's a guy that went through that program He's special. On this episode of the Unrivaled Podcast, we visit with one of the most dynamic broadcasters in the sports industry today. That's ESPN's Sean McDonough. Sean, along with Molly McGrath and Penn State great Todd Blackledge will be on the call for Penn State's Week 5 matchup with the Indiana Hoosiers. Sean, this has been a long time coming to get you on the Unrivaled Podcast, dating back to, I believe, the Iowa game in 2019 when it seemed like you and this crew were on Penn State's call pretty much every single week for a good stretch of time there. So first off, appreciate you taking the time to join us. But this will be your first time calling a Penn State game since November 9th of 2019. How much are you looking forward to being on the call Saturday night? Well, it's always exciting to go there. And as you and I were discussing before we started talking on the air, you know, it's been a long time. I don't even know when the last time I did a game at Penn State was. I've done a number of road games for the Nittany Lions uh, over the last few years, including, as you mentioned, those games in 2019 when it felt like we were doing, we were almost the voices of the Nittany Lions. So really excited. You know, it's a great setting there. Saturday night, primetime, national TV. You know, one of the great crowds in all of college football, and I think it should be a really entertaining game as well. What stands out to you about that crowd as you've been able to witness it in person and take it in from afar? Well, it's loud, you know, that's for sure. And, you know, the I think you guys were kind of the forerunners of the whiteout from what I'm told, and now we're going to have a stripe out, which should be pretty cool, with one section in blue and the other one in white. So, you know, that's always visually appealing excuse me, to our national audience. So, you know, just and plus when you go there, you can kind of feel the history and tradition. You know, you know that there have been so many great games played there, so many great players who have played there, so many meaningful games, obviously legendary coaches. So, you know, it's a place where you kind of feel the history when you pull into town. When you look at this matchup and you prepare for it, Indiana coming in with a 2-2 two two record, Penn State with the 4-0 record, what's your X factor in this matchup? Well, I think can the Indiana offense uh, avoid turning the ball over? You know, in their two losses, you know, the 2-2 two and two record that you mentioned, Mitch, is a disappointment to them. You know, they were ranked in the preseason for the first time since 1969, and they didn't expect to beat two and two right now now obviously they played like Penn State a difficult schedule you know they they went to Iowa to start the year and I think everybody knew Iowa would be good I don't think anybody thought they'd be top 10 good or top five good at this point in the season but you know they got really smacked around and then uh, they had a 14 nothing lead against Cincinnati other top 10 team I wound up losing that game they lost one of their best players Micah McFadden to kind of a questionable targeting call early in the game, which I think really hurt them. But, you know, in those six games, they, uh, in those two games, they had six interceptions. So you can't win when you turn the ball over against good teams, great teams in these cases. And I think, you know, Penn State's one of the best teams in the country. So, yeah, I think if Indiana can avoid turning the ball over on offense, they're going to be capable of moving the ball and scoring points. But if they do uh, turn it over, as they have done against the best teams that they played, then it's, they're probably in for a long night. 
Sean, you mentioned that you believe Penn State is one of the best teams in the country as we talk on September 30th. What stood out to you about Penn State's 4-0 start to this date? Well, a number of things. You know, I, I think you know on offense, obviously, they're explosive in the passing game. You know, I think Clifford and Johnson become one of the best combinations in the country among active players, and really one of the best combinations in Penn State football history. And as we're speaking, you know, just this morning, I was reading ESPN.com and saw that Mel Kuyper has John Dotson rated the number one wide receiver on his big board and the number eight prospect overall with an eye toward the next NFL draft. So obviously what he's doing is getting the attention of people who pay attention to that sort of thing. So, you know, on the defensive side, watching the tape, you know, there's some, some veterans who you, know, you feel like you've seen forever. Um, I think in the, the defensive backfield, uh, they're really solid. And then the transfers up front uh, on the defensive line seem to have been you know, a big boost. You know, when you do Penn State games, you always expect they're going to have dynamic pass rushers, but you know, obviously lost some key guys off of last year's team. But still seem like they're uh, able to put some pressure on the opposing quarterback, even though the, you know, the sack numbers aren't huge. Um, six sacks all year. But, you know, I, I do think uh, particularly the, the young man transferred from Temple, whose name I don't have to be able to pronounce until uh, Saturday, <laughs> uh, you know, has, has, he's the guy who you notice when you watch the tape, number 17. Arnold Abikati. Yeah, that's we'll, easy. We'll I just haven't practiced yet. <laughs> I love that's it. my night before the game exercise. I talk to people like you who are the experts, and, uh, you know, it's, this game is easy. A couple of weeks ago we had Washington – who has a lot of Polynesian players with very long last names and lots of vowels. So that was a week-long practice, repeating the names over and over and over again as I was walking around the house. A little insight to those listening. National crews will oftentimes meet with um, head coaches, coordinators, a couple of players before they actually broadcast a game. When you do that, Sean, what types of questions do you ask to help yourself prepare for a game? Well, it's a little bit of both, as you know, because you've been in the room. You know, obviously you want the football part of it, you know, how the season's gone, how they feel they play, you know, what they can do better, what they think of the opponent and what they think is going to be important from a strategic standpoint in the upcoming game. You know, when we talk to the coordinators, we have to go through really the entire depth chart of guys who are likely to play and try to give us a sentence or two about each of them, their strengths or what they're looking for more from. You know, anything that stands out to them as players or, you know, students. And, you know, then you try to get into the biographical side of it, too. You know, the human interest part, what's interesting about their lives to this point, their background, why they came to be where they are. And we had a great conversation this week with Charlton Warren, who's the defensive coordinator in his first year there. Got into his background quite a bit. He played football at Air Force and never even thought he was going to be a football coach and kind of accidentally became one when Fisher DeBerry, who was his coach, convinced him after 10 years in the military to come back and be a football coach. So, you know, stuff like that. Just try to give people a reason to take an interest in these players or coaches as people as they watch. And, you know, that's particularly important if the game gets to be a little bit one-sided. Obviously, if it's a close game, you're kind of sticking to downtown football. But if it becomes a little lopsided, then you veer more into the human interest stories, biographical stories that hopefully hold the people's interest who are watching. 
you've been able to call multiple games with Penn State legend Todd Blackledge. What makes the chemistry between the two of you so strong on a national broadcast? Well, I think one of the things that's you know, probably the most important is he's one of my, excuse me, one of my closest friends. Um, you know, we, we've known each other a long time. We worked together briefly back at uh, CBS in the late 90s. Matter of fact, my last year at CBS, Todd was my partner. Matter of fact, the last year I did at CBS in any sport was the Sun Bowl on December 31st in 1999, and that was with Todd. So, you know, we're really close friends. Um, you know, really enjoy his company on and off the air. You know, he's just a wonderful human being. Great. Dad, he's a great citizen of the community. He's a man of considerable faith. You know, he's a very unselfish partner in the TV world, and he's great. You know, he's outstanding. I think he's as fine an analyst as we have in any sport at ESPN. I, you know, put his football analysis up there with anybody doing college or NFL. So, anytime you feel like you're working with one of the best, you feel privileged to be in that situation, and particularly when it's somebody who's as good a person as Todd is. So. I think it's that part. It's the personal connection and, uh, you know, it's the professional connection and respect. I just think our our strengths play well off each other. You know, he's, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's fun. And our, and our whole crew is fun. This, our group, Scott Johnson, our director, has done this package for more than 20 years now. And it's a lot of the same camera people, technicians, people in the tape room, audio people. And that makes a huge difference, too. You know, a lot of time in this business, you show up to do a basketball game, and you don't really recognize very many people on the technical crew. It could be kind of a transient experience. But this is a group that's worked together for a very long time, and I think it makes a difference in the chemistry, both on the air and off the air. You know, one of the things that stands out about the two of you specifically when you call a game is you're the play-by-play guy. You know exactly when to call it. You know the big moments. You know when to ramp your voice up. And then you let Todd do the analysis portion, obviously with his background and, and the Penn State pedigree that he has with it. But what makes Todd such a strong analyst of the game? Well, I think it starts with the preparation. Obviously, it starts with the background. I mean, he's been around it his whole life. He's the son of a coach. So he grew up around it and you know, immersed himself in it. And you know, he played at a very high level in college and you know, was the first-round pick in the NFL. And he's been around great coaches his whole life. But you know, he's also a student. As you know, he's an academic All-American. I think he graduated at 3-8 or something like that from Penn State um, and won the Distinguished Alumni Award, which he's deserving of, as I said, both for what he, the way he lives his life away from his job and the way he has conducted his professional life. And, you know, a lot of preparation. I mean, he immersed himself in the tape. He reads everything he can read. He talks to a lot of people. You know, I talked to him uh, earlier this week, and he was mentioning that he had just talked to Matt Millen, another Penn State legend, who had done a, a recent Penn State game, you know, to kind of gain some insights into our matchup from Matt. And that's always a smart thing to do, you know, pick the uh, brain of other people who know what they're talking about. So, you know, and he's just super smart. He obviously has the ability to communicate. He has a great eye for what's important really on each play. And to me, one of the things that sets him apart is he has the great ability to anticipate what might be about to happen. You know, I can't even count the number of times he said, well, you know, they're due to throw a deep ball here. Then on the very next play, they throw a deep ball. I think they're about due to throw the ball to the tight end, and then the next play goes to the tight end. So, I think by any standard that you measure an analyst, uh, as I said earlier, he's at the top of the list. 
Now, from your broadcasting pedigree, you've been able to call some of the premier events in, in all of sports, Monday Night Football, the World Series, uh, NCAA Final Four, Olympics, all four major golf tournaments or championships, rather. What's been the most surreal moment that you've had during your career? Wow, uh, that's a great question. And I feel blessed to have done all those things that you mentioned. It just kind of makes me feel old a little bit, too. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not old. I'm still in my 50s, which is a wonderful thing. I don't consider that old. I hope nobody else does either. But, uh, you know, I think that there are a few that stand out in terms of, you know, singular moments. You know, in baseball, Sid Bream, I hate to say it with the Pennsylvania audience, but, you know, Sid Bream of the Atlanta Braves scoring the winning run in Game 7 of the 92 National League Championship Series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, that even though I know Pirate fans, they hate it. It was one of the great games in Major League Baseball history. Certainly one of the most dramatic endings. MLB Network did a series called Baseball's Greatest Games or something like that, and I believe that was the number four game of all time. Uh, and then the next year, while well, I was still doing the Major League Baseball package for CBS, you know, Joe Carter hit the home run to win the World Series for the Toronto Blue Jays, and that was just the second time that the World Series had ever ended on a home run. Uh, the College World Series had only ended on a, a home run once. That was by Warren Morris, Bell, that's you. I uh, had the luck, I guess, to be in the right place at the right time to call that for CBS. Um, and that still hits close to home. because The Miami shortstop was a guy named Alex Cora, who I now deal regularly with as the manager of the Boston Red Sox. I was doing some of their games on radio. You know, I think in college football, the one that stands out to most people is the ending of the Michigan-Michigan State game several years ago when all Michigan had to do was get the punt off and they were going to win the game. And they didn't get the punt off. And Michigan State, you know, scooped the ball out of midair and ran it in. Jalen Watts Jackson, uh, you know, that is about as unbelievable an ending to any sporting event that I've ever seen in any sport. So, you know, those, I guess, would be some of the surreal moments that stand out. I've just been lucky to be in the right place at the right time a number of times. I guess when you're around long enough, the odds are that that's going to happen from time to time. So who knows? Maybe we'll have another one of those on Saturday night in beautiful Happy Valley. Now, as I mentioned off the top, you are one of the most dynamic play-by-play broadcasters in the sports industry today, which includes a new role for you, being the lead play-by-play commentator for the NHL on ESPN this season. How much are you looking forward to that package? I'm super excited about it, and obviously the carrot at the end of the year is the chance to broadcast the Stanley Cup Final, which we will have four out of the next seven years. We're splitting this seven-year national package with Turner and we'll have the Stanley Cup final in the even numbered years and they'll have it yacht. So, you know, the chance to do one of the great sporting events in the world, the Stanley Cup final. I remember sitting here a couple of years ago when the Boston Bruins were in the final against the St. Louis Blues and being at the T D Garden saying to some friends of mine who I was sitting with as a fan, Oh, how awesome would it be to someday have the chance to call this on network TV, on national TV, you know, the atmosphere is just tremendous. Uh, There's really nothing like playoff hockey. So, you know, I grew up a a big hockey fan. You know, when I was growing up here in Boston, Bobby Orr was the sports legend. You know, on a week now we're talking about Tom Brady coming back to New England to play against the Patriots. You know, Bobby Orr was the Tom Brady of my childhood, and uh, he's still the greatest hockey player of all time. I know there are Mario Lemieux fans and Wayne Gretzky fans would probably argue that, but to me, Bobby Orr changed the way the game was played uh, in such a significant way and really dominated every shift that he was on the ice for the vast majority of his career. So 
really excited about it. You know, I was part of it when we had it, but we haven't had the NHL for 16 years. And there are a lot of people at ESPN who are just as fired up as I am that we have it back. And as you say, it's uh, not far away. It's less than two weeks away. We begin on uh, Tuesday, October 12th on ESPN with the the Penguins going down to Tampa Bay to play the two-time Stanley Cup champion. Tampa Bay Lightning will be raising a banner that night. So it'll be a great way to kick off our coverage. Let's come full circle from the Penguins back to the state of Pennsylvania to Penn State and this Saturday as we end on this question. You've been fortunate to broadcast hundreds of events, including college football, some of the premier games in the sport. So in your opinion, what separates Penn State in 2021 compared to some others around the country? I said this when I came from Monday Night Football back to college football. You know, part of the reason I want to come back to college football is I just missed the atmosphere, you know, the traditions. The, the NFL is great, but it, it, it isn't the same, you know, in terms of the, the pomp and circumstance, the pageantry. You know, when you pull into some of these towns on a Wednesday or Thursday and there's already RVs in the parking lot and people are you know, ready for the game and, and waiting for the game to arrive, you know, the, it's just the buildup to it in college football is different. And you know, I think Penn State is at or near the top of the list when you talk about you know, the game day atmosphere, uh, obviously the size of the stadium is a part of it, but there are big stadiums where the crowds aren't that raucous. This is one of the biggest stadiums in the country where the crowd is really into it. And, you know, yeah, in all the things that we talked about earlier, you know, the, the history and tradition, you know, the, the decades-long history there of great teams, great players, legendary coaches. And, you know, again, this year, it looks like uh, you have one of the best teams in the country there. And... You know, the chance to do it in prime time uh, at night with a stripe out uh, against a team, you know, that is uh, a com- compelling story. I know they've had a disappointing four games, but, you know, I think they're looking at this game, Indiana, is, as a chance to you know, change the narrative on this season, change the narrative about their program, that they really have kind of arrived and can win games like this against the top-ranked opponent on the road. So this is huge for them, and... You know, I think the larger point, which is just it's another celebration of how awesome it is to have fans back in the stands because, you know, the, the fans are a huge part of what makes college football special. And last year I was glad they played the game, but it wasn't anywhere near the same. I mean, when you can hear the players talking to each other <laughs> and the coaches yelling things and the referees talking to each other, talking to the players, you know, it's, it felt like you were at a scrimmage. So. This is what it should be, and you know, Penn State, as I said, is at the top of the list when it comes to game day or game night atmosphere, and really looking forward to getting back there with it, with uh, Todd and with Molly and with our crew. Very well said, and that will be on display this Saturday inside Beaver Stadium when Penn State takes on Indiana at 7.30 on ABC. Sean, appreciate your time, and let's make sure that it doesn't take this long to do another episode of the podcast down the road, all right? Well, my pleasure, Mitch. Always great to talk to you. Look forward to seeing you this weekend, and uh, hopefully it'll be a terrific game.